Hey everyone, happy Friday. Welcome to the Daily Covfefe, our live Friday on Unsafe Space. I'm Carter and I'm joined as usual by Bad Mama Jamma, who I think is showered and ready now. You're ready to go, right, Carrie? Yes, I'm uh, wet hair, don't care. Oh no, my microphone. I hear you. Is, is it? it oh no, it's weird again. Okay, now it's back. Right? Well, do you have like a little gremlin in your computer that switches your microphone? I all the do. Time? I do. Something's going on with it. It's it's ever since the it broke and I had to get a new cord. Well, the new cord does this weird thing where mid sentence it'll say, "Hey, we've switched over to your laptop audio," and I'm like, and these things pop up on the screen, and I'm like, "No," and then it goes back. But I noticed it makes a weird feedback thing when it does that. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. But, well, you know, we're falling apart. My computer sound is dying. I took it apart the other day and it worked. It works when it works when the laptop is taken apart on the kitchen counter. But when I put it back together, it has intermittent sound failure. So we're just uh, we're falling apart of the seams here. But that's yes. Okay. What's today? I should say the date. Is it November 8th? Yes, it's Friday, November 8th um, in the morning, unless you're across the pond as some of our listeners are, in which case, it's not the morning. Actually, even on the East Coast, it's probably afternoon, yeah. So, anyway, welcome, everyone. Um, is she just using her audio jack for mic and headphones? I assume she's using a USB port for her for her mic. I don't know, Carrie, what are you using? Hold on, it's messing with me. It's a USB port. Yeah. It's, a, um, it's a blue... A blue yeti. It's a good mic. It's a good mic. It's just the cord is just I don't yeah. know. I need to get another one, I guess. Um, I have a confession to make. Uh oh. <laughs> I'm generally, as you know, I try to stick to this rule even when I don't want to. I generally, I don't name call usually in when I'm talking to a person, like a back and forth between me and someone else. I don't call them names. In private or public or both. Public. Like and private both. I just don't believe in that because I think name calling doesn't get anywhere, mm. and you're never going to go. And and plus, you should model the behavior that you think others that you should model the behavior that you believe in and that you think is best and that you think others should believe in. And so, I generally don't do it. I also, but I but third party people in the public eye, absolutely, I call them names. Like of course, every once in a while. However, I have to make a confession. I just called someone a name in discussion with them on Instagram because this person is uh, um, not engaging in good faith. She's kind of following me around Instagram and uh, she doesn't actually want to have a discussion. Now that doesn't make it right. And I shouldn't have done it, but every once in a while, I feel like in moderation, it's like having salt once every six months. <laughs> so I called her a completely ignorant boob. It's a cheat day for you. Huh? Um it's your it's cheat a, day. It's a cheat day. Should I delete it? <laughs> um, so I, I look, I, I agree that calling people names is not the most effective way to convince people. But right. I don't necessarily think there's anything morally wrong with it. And I don't know if that's just a difference in our moral values, but I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with calling someone a name if they are deserving of it. It's just not effective. Yeah, and. I guess I think I guess I do think there's something wrong with it too, um, because other, especially in public or on a public platform, your other people are watching the conversation. Do you know what I mean? 
Um, Why does that make it wrong? Well, because I mean, what if they are? Well, this is the well, she is an ignorant boob. That's no question. But they will say it. (laughs) I mean, unless your concern is more practical, in which case I I agree, probably isn't the best way to convince her. But I don't know. Look, it's never it's never a sin to speak the truth. No, it's a it's the truth. But I you don't always have to say the truth. You don't have to say everything that is the truth that's in your head to the person you're talking to. Especially you don't have when, to. You right, don't especially have to. when it's about them. True. Yes, but- let, Laura in the chat says it's a bad example, right, Carrie? That's what bothers you. Yes, so I've done it, and now I feel guilty about it. So, oh, so, so it's more like you feel like you're setting a bad example. Like Yes. It's not a but- good, it's not good argumentation. Correct. It's definitely not good argumentation. Not that she and I are going to have good argumentation. I've talked to this woman before. She's also one of those people who um, likes to use sarcasm, but really weak sarcasm, like the kind of sarcasm that people use as a crutch that's not very clever and um, where they just say the exact opposite of what they actually think. It's so lazy. And so uh, what I like to respond to that in sincerity. So she's like, you know, oh, you know, she said to this other knitter, because I was commenting on the knitter's post, and she said, oh, you're attracting a bunch of um, geniuses here, or something like that. And I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, they are. They are geniuses. Because <laughs> it's Wait. so lazy. It is like, that's not good sarcasm. That's literally just saying the opposite of what you think. And it, you're, it's not, you're not using it in a clever way. I've, I've personally tried it's to- It's an ad hominem mask in sarcasm. It's like, your followers are dumb. <laughs> Yes. Your followers are smart. Like, yeah. right. Oh, a bunch of smart people here. But my favorite thing to those is just to take it at face value and just pretend like the, just treat them as though they're speaking truth and as though they as though they're not someone speaking lies. I mean, that is a lie. They don't believe that. Right. Yeah. Um, so. So anyway, that is, by the way, that's generally uh, taking people at face value and continually like taking what they say at face value for a lot of people that will end up like that will completely fall apart. Like the, their, their whole argument will often fall apart if you just, yes, because then, because then, especially when it's lazy sarcasm, if you take it with, Oh yeah. Yeah. Carlin in the chat knows who I'm talking about. It was on her Instagram wall where I first met this, this this ignorant boob. But um, she, uh, when, when you take it, when it's very lazy sarcasm and you take it at face value and you're like, Oh, thank you. Then usually it's, it, then the, then they have to then they have to explain their sarcasm which they don't want to do right <laughs> like, no i didn't really mean it <laughs> yeah well look carrie if it's any consolation i don't think it's a problem people in the chat can can say they understand that you're setting a bad example and, and they understand your sentiment i i am openly more of an ass than you are yes and, uh, <laughs> i am completely willing to call people ignorant boobs and uh, <laughs> I think sometimes I think society might be better if sometimes ignorant boobs were told to their face that they're ignorant boobs and everyone got to see what they were being called. I don't think you should do it all the time. It's not an effective argument. I totally understand that, True. but I don't. Uh, I don't have any problem with it. But uh, that's where that's where you and I differ. So uh, also, if you're going to call names, I think you should call names from like previous decades, like bring back some of the great great. Oh, it's better to be clever. Yeah. yeah, like like Oof. floozy. Bring up the word floozy. You know, like all these great words that we don't use as often. <laughs> <laughs> don't re- disrespect the boob. That's a good point, Alan. Um, that's an excellent. You could also use 
I yeah, there's oh, there's also words I don't want to even say them because they're swears. But uh, it's great that the British have different sets of swear words that are acceptable than the U.S. And if you just use some of the British words, it's like super offensive here. Oh yeah, um, that's true. We're not offensive at all. So it's like this weird like. Is it? Did you just say something bad, or oh my god, you said something horrible? But then it's kind of, uh, it's so over the top horrible. Uh, anyway, flapjacker. Flapjacker. <laughs> I didn't even know. Like, is that a good? It's a flapjacker. A good twenties diss. I don't know that one. I know for women, there's like floozy and like tart. Tart. She's yeah. Said tart. <laughs> tart. Hussy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know too many. We should maybe do a whole show where we just uh, ooh, a strumpet. Oh, awesome, Elizabeth. Strumpet. Strumpet. Yes. Yeah, we should do a show where we just like we resurrect hundred. Maybe the rule should be it has to be at least a hundred years old. <laughs> <laughs> no, skank is too new. I used that in high school. Yeah, skank's too new. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, granted, high school was. I am ancient, so high school was quite a long time ago. But still. Um, Carrie, you're making me think of actually, this actually wasn't something I was sure I was going to talk about, but now I want to because of what you said. It's um, it's like a meme. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how popular it is, but I think it was posted by someone who. So it's it's kind of against it's it's weird because it's against the Libertarian Party, I think. But it's posted, even if you're not a Libertarian, what's interesting about it is I think it's posted by a social justice type person. And I think there's, it's, it's weird here. Let me show it. Let me, instead of trying to explain it and I'll explain it for people listening uh, as we look at it. So it's just four, it's a four panel cartoon. There's a guy with libertarian party, like sticker on his face, basically. And he's saying identity doesn't matter. Only ideas matter. And the next panel, he says, same person, free markets, free speech, small government. And in the next panel, someone else leans into him and kind of in a whispering tone, I guess, says, whites are the only demographic that don't overwhelmingly oppose those things. And then the fourth panel, the Libertarian Party guy is just standing there smiling. I think that's supposed to be sweat that's drawn on his face. Um, I think the I think the point of that I'm not I wasn't totally sure about what this was supposed to mean. I, I, I think it could be. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. Um, and by the way, the, the Liberty, the Libertarian Party, their symbol was the Statue of Liberty. But in the last frame, the Keck frog is now um, the face of the, the Pepe is is now has now replaced the Statue of Liberty's face and it's Pepe crying. Um, so I think this could have been made by this is the kind of image that could be either completely uh, white nationalist or completely social justice. And I think uh, I think. Because the white nationalist will say, well, only the white people support identity, like uh, uh, free markets, free speech, limited government, like the Enlightenment is white, right? That's what they'll say. And they'll say that it's a, it's a white person thing. And so they want like they want to return to like a you know, white, white nationalist, not return, but they want to build like a white nation. Right. So those are the extreme far right crazies. But I think this is also something. And I think, by the way, this was shared. I'm pretty sure this was shared by social justice people. I think this is. Also, how the social justice world looks at this, and this kind of relates to what you and I were talking about the other day when we got into this thing about um, Western culture versus whether even the white culture exists as a thing, which I, I'm now tending more to agree with you. It doesn't exist at all. Um, but 
uh, it's it's this it's this idea that and th- this is how they paint. So they they if you want to tear down Western culture, right, um, and Western civilization generally. If you just say, imagine that third frame where the guy, instead of leaning in and saying whites are the only demographic that don't overwhelmingly oppose those things, if he leaned in and said, um, people who uh, people who support Western civilization are the only people who don't oppose those things, it wouldn't have any power because it would be like, yes, those are things of Western civilization. Like, yes, that's what we're defending. But they're trying to conflate whiteness with Western civilization and saying, if you hold ideas that are predominantly white people hold or that are are mostly held by white people and not people of color, that makes you racist. And by the way, I'm not sure I agree with the premise that other demographics don't also like those things either. That's just, they're, they're making this. Of course, of course right? other demographics like those things. Okay. If I'm reading this correctly, this meme is completely racist and I, I, don't, it is I racist. don't get it. But, what, but are they trying to say that libertarians are racist? I don't get it. Yes. I believe there's I believe they're trying to say that libertarians are racist. And and you know, I will say it may be it may be true, and I think likely is true, that there are lots of demographics where the majority of people in those demographics do not support free speech, small government, free markets. That is that may like in fact racial be- demographics? I don't think that's true at all. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I completely disagree with you. I don't think that breaks down along race at all. Oh, um, it totally does. If you look globally, it absolutely does. Globally? Yeah, this is a global statement. Globally, it absolutely does. Yes. Um, well, not in the U.S. It doesn't. No. And and, and well, I, don't, I, I don't. I don't know in the U.S., which is why I'm throwing up my hands and saying I don't know about the U.S. But globally, it, it does. Um, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> that's not. But it's also not everyone. It doesn't matter. Like, even if most people of a certain demographic don't like those things, some people do. And those those are universal principles that are that anyone can embrace and be a part of. It's not it's not a racial thing. But I think they are trying to paint it with I think they're trying to say libertarians are racist. Um, I just kind of want to bring this up because I wasn't sure what to make of this cartoon either. And I thought maybe people in chat or you would have some some additional. I I think it's awful. Oh, it's and definitely I, awful. I totally agree. With and you. I think it's racist. And I think if they're trying to say that libertarians hold those beliefs, the libertarians that I know, the people who've told me they're libertarian, I'm still learning more about libertarianism, but the people I know who are libertarian are not racist. So I think that that's a shit meme. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. And and just to be, just to explain to people who don't understand a lot of libertarianism, uh, libertarians... I mean, now the left, the radical left hates the libertarians because they want free markets and small government and free speech. But libertarians were the like the nemesis of conservatives in many ways for a while because they were the ones who were like, why shouldn't gays marry? What's wrong with interracial marriage? Like we should like people, people should be equal. And like libertarians were the ones that are pro personal freedoms um, in a way that the right typically did not support. The right has been coming a little bit more moderate on some of those things. And so you have more Republican types that like, uh, or that will support gay marriage and that kind of stuff. But libertarians uh, certainly um, were not were not known for racism. Um, there is the old stigma from the Ron Paul newsletter from the 80s. Um, I don't really know much about the Ron Paul newsletter. I, certainly he wasn't racist in the time that I was aware of him. I, but I know there were claims 
I know he was smeared with racist claims about something he did in the 80s, but I don't know the details enough, and I don't trust uh, most smear campaigns anymore, so uh, I'm not sure what to make of that. But yes, Andrew, racism is antithetical to libertarianism. Um, so, but yeah, it is the, I think the cartoon is SJW pushing this idea that, look, if you're, um, if you're, uh, if you're pro Western civilization, you are necessarily racist because only whites like these things. That's the SJW narrative. And that's what, that's what allows them to come up with this concept of whiteness, right? And say, oh, so I actually looked at some of the responses to this. Some people were arguing with it, and the SJW defense of it was, um, you only like those things because white people are in control in that system. That's why you like those things. So that's why it's racist. White people are in are currently in control of free market free speech and small like the small government. I don't know who thinks we have a small government, but I guess crazy communists think our government is small. Um, but they they their argument was like, oh, you only like it because you're white. You only like those things because you're white. Um, I don't know. Someone's explaining the Ron Paul thing to me. Uh, there was a newsletter that was run by others while Ron was in Congress. There was one person who was let go who maybe had some views uh, that were problematic here. And uh, I guess he wasn't excommunicated. I don't know what that means, but he was fired. That's a form of excommunication, I guess. <sighs> anyway, that's the cartoon. Don't know what else to say about it too much. What do you got, Carrie? I got other stuff to talk about, but cartoon. you go ahead. I didn't like that one. Pick another one. <laughs> I have to like it. I mean, <laughs> I didn't like it either. That's why I was sharing. Uh, well, you and I wanted to talk about this Williams College thing. Do you want to talk about that now? Refresh my memory. Boycott English. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, <laughs> There's uh, social justice people now at Williams College saying that we need to boycott the Department of English. Here, I'll put up their little manifesto. We are calling on the students of Williams College to boycott the, the entire English department. So they're, basically, they're saying what they mean by that is you're not supposed to take any classes from the English department except for a handful that they've approved. And the reason for this is they believe that there is, quote, structural racism in the English department, and there aren't enough people who are completely focused on non-white literature. And they have a bunch of demands. Uh, we demand a faculty search for a senior faculty specializing in ethnic literature. Um, we demand the department immediately run a search for new faculty tenure track hires, one in African-American literature and one in uh, Latinx, which uh, is a racist way of saying Latino. Uh, and one in Native American literature and one in Asian American literature. So, by the way, this, this is funny to me. One in Native American literature. Look, most Native, some had written language, but most Native American tribes didn't even have written language. There's not going to be a whole lot of Native American literature. But apparently we need an entire tenure track focused on a very small body of work. Um, we demand that there be an external investigation of the English department. So they don't like they don't like some stuff that's been happening in the English department. I guess people um, were quoting, make like quoting things that had the N word in it or whatever. 
Um, there was nothing that was particularly egregious. I read this, and then they, and then they went through and they, they claimed that there was violence. Here, hold on. Look, yeah. The English department has a long, well-documented history, sorry, disturbing history of racism, sexism, transphobia, and other violences. And then they list a whole bunch of stuff the English department supposedly did, none of which is violent. Um, They just uh, basically aren't, none of these, none of this, none of the stuff that they did is, none of the stuff the English professors have done uh, is uh, like, remotely racist or anything that i can tell they just didn't hire enough people of the color that these people want and they're making them read books from white people uh and they are basically just not pandering enough they're not pandering enough um and then they have these stats which i think they think supports their case they say there's a lot of people coming up for tenure here but Look, total people of color in division one and two, these are of the uh, different parts of the department, from 2007 to 2018. So people of color have gone up. Percentage of people of color have gone up in total faculty. So they're they're putting these numbers out to make some other point than what I'm making. But my point is, actually, uh, they're accurate. Re- people of color are not only accurately represented in the English department at Williams, but they're actually uh, increasing. So... Anyway, it's just another one of the. I don't. There's not really point in getting to the details because the details are boring and, and exactly what you would expect. They're not. They're not actually. There's nothing actually wrong that's been happening really. But it's Williams College, which is a good college, right? Um, and they would like to destroy their reputation. <sighs> Literature equals a rock filled with hieroglyphs, <laughs> right? Yeah, there were some pictures. <laughs> Omara, that's literature. Um, our institutions of learning are in the toilet. Yeah, I agree. Well, I saw something this morning about Harvard. Um, who who copied me? One of my friends copied me on something about Harvard's um, sex ed classes. I saw they're teaching some of the same classes they did last year. Same same topic I saw in a, in a piece last year as well, but. Um, it's it's not just that it's sex ed. It's that it's sort of like the, uh, you know, the culture there in San Francisco where you're at the whole like the home of good vibes, like all the sex toy companies, toys in Babeland, all that stuff. Babes in Toyland is actually based in New York, but toys uh, in Babeland. Or sorry, yes, toys in Babeland is based in New York. Uh, good vibes um, did come out of the Bay Area, but though. good vibes is out of the Bay Area. Yeah, but you know what I mean. That culture. It's in San Francisco. It's in New York. It's in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, they're selling sex toys at these in these classes and um i just looking at the curriculum there was stuff <laughs> there were t- the titles of the classes or stuff like put it in the butt you know like anal sex 101 it's like harvard <laughs> like the, there's just something really i don't it's not that i'm a prude it's just i just you're going to harvard to learn that you can go to good vibes like why are you paying an exorbitant amount of money to go to Harvard and learn that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm also not approved. You want to do stuff uh, and you want to go take a class of good vibes about inserting items into your body. That's, you know, I'm much more libertarian about that. You go do your thing, but uh, why you would pay Harvard tuition 
<laughs> to go. Why your parents would pay Harvard tuition for you to go learn that? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I think the joke is on the joke is on you guys because uh, you're just turning college into something that is irrelevant. Um, even mel- relatively mainstream people, I think it was someone like Susie Orman or one of those financial people. Someone the other day tweeted out, "College isn't uh, college is overrated. You know, most people care about what you can do, not where you went to college." Um, and uh, I don't think being able to insert items into your orifices is a good thing to put on your resume, I guess, depending on the job. Okay. So, well, no. So I looked it up. Here it is. Um, It's an annual thing they do at Harvard. Here's some of the classes. Uh, Anal sex 101, oral sex 101, fat phobia workshop. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So here's the, here's some of the title. Actually, here's the full titles of the classes. Uh, Sticky, a self-love story which is a classic. Oh, I know the guy who made that. That's a documentary. Oh, is it? Um, yeah. Feel I think it's th- masturbation. Yeah, it is. Cl- clearly yeah. from the title. Uh, feel those good vibrations. Sex toys 101. Uh, what, what in the butt. Anal sex 101. Tantric sex 101. Uh, body positivity. Fat phobia and liberation. Uh, getting a head in life. Oral sex 101. Brought to you by Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it does. It sounds like the lineup at a sex toy conference or something. It does. Uh, That's why I'm just, it's just, there's something about these elite institutions are not what they used to be. That's all. And you're paying a lot of money to go to send your kids there. All those classes are cheaper. If you actually go to good vibes, Uh, they're probably free. (laughs) Probably probably go to good vibes for those classes for free. Um, Yeah. You know, there's something about like the old Puritans were maniacally obsessed with sex. And they were very concerned about what you did in your bedroom. And what they wanted to make sure was you didn't do the things that they didn't want you to do. Um, That was very important to them. And then, like, the more liberals came along. And I mean this more classical liberal liberal sense. And and I'll put myself in this category. We were like, yeah, like, I don't don't really care what you do. I don't even need to hear or care about it. It's like... It's your bedroom. You do your thing, man. Just don't hurt anyone else and do it consensually and leave me alone. Uh, I, you know, I might not choose to do those things or I might not even preach that they should be done, but whatever you do, do what you want. Uh, so I don't want to pay attention to your sex life, but now we've come full circle. And now the social justice people are also maniacally obsessed with your sex life, but not making sure that you don't do things, making sure that you do do things. <laughs> Carrie, I guarantee they will get to a point relatively quickly, if they haven't already, I haven't been paying attention, but there's going to be a point at which they'll be like, you haven't had gay sex? Well, you're a homophobe. Oh, they'll totally get there soon. You have to do, you have to do Yeah, because they're already saying that if you don't want to date and have sex with trans people, that you're a transphobe. That's something they've already started pushing, which is absurd. And I'm shocked that there aren't more, and maybe there are, you know, there are people, outspoken people in the LGBT community lgbt community like our friend mike who who are kind of talking about this stuff because can you imagine telling that's like telling lesbians that you have to have sex with a man or you're sexist you know what i mean it's like what are you talking about and it actually reminds me of we read brave new world you know the whole concept of in brave new world where they're they 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 um 
they force the kids, they teach the kids to have sexual play with each other. And they, and there's this idea in brave new world that like your body belongs to everyone else. Everyone belongs to everyone. Yeah. And so this whole idea of if you don't want to have sex with someone, you're a bigot. It it reminds me of that. It's like heading there. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. There's going to be a day at Harvard. I think there's going to be a day at Harvard. There's going to be a class at Harvard where an actual orgy will be involved as like to pass. You're going to have to have sex. I don't know how long that'll take, but there'll be a class somewhere where to pass. Oh, I bet it's already happening somewhere. I want to just say one thing. Tame the watcher in, in chat. Just I just looked over. This is cracking me up. He goes, or she goes, I don't know. I'm proud to announce my new tenure as a professor. My classes are butt stuff 101. <laughs> Alcoholism and marks drinking for the working class. <laughs> and scamming unemployment for white middle class students. <laughs> You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they already have tenure. Sorry. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, the orgy will be the final exam, Amara, or something. Or just like your weekly homework will be, have you had sex with a trans man today, this week? Did you Did you do your homework? <laughs> did, you, did you have your sex? Okay, I don't want, I don't know if we want to talk about this because this is absolutely gross. But given that we're heading, we're talking, okay, we're talking about hedonism and we're talking about this culture of just like anything goes and keep pushing the boundaries. And, you know, I, I feel like, um, that we've seen statistics of how actually actually kind of shocking that younger people are having a lot less sex than they used to. I don't right. know, like, like uh, late teens, twenties, whatever it, it, they're, it's just the sex drive is actually peeled off. I think part of that is cause of the men's testosterone rates are also declining, but another part of it I think is because people are becoming addicted to porn and they're addicted to these devices and being with a real person is also in this day and age, if you're a young person, if you're in your 20s, you ask a woman out. What did we say? 25% of millennials think it's sexual harassment to even ask a woman out. So it's like, how do you even meet someone? <laughs> but, um, but so I think, I think we're in this place of just like pushing the, on the one hand, we're like pushing the limits. Anything goes. I know people who are just looking for like the more and more extreme kind of porn, or the more and more extreme kind of sex um, uh, the polyamorous community has, it, I think, based on some of the articles I've read, is exploding. I think it used to just kind of be in those major cities, and now it's. Oh, I think it is exploding. I've read those yeah. articles. Yeah. And so people are looking to, like, oh, let me see what else is out there, and we're pushing limits. And so I just watched this video. It's so gross. Um, you're the one who called my attention to this trend in the news where all the mainstream media lately is publishing all these articles about how we should be eating bugs. Remember <laughs> yeah. that? And I was like, what? Why? What are you talking about? And then I saw Paul Joseph watching. I thought I was nuts. I thought you were nuts. But then he did a video on it and he showed a bunch of articles about it. And in that video, he also showed this guy. And I think this is on. Now, I I don't want to say because I might get it wrong. I was going to say I thought it was Vice, but maybe not. It's a guy who has sex with worms. And he's talking about it like this is my basically he gets a cup of worms and earthworms. And it's like the in the video, he's like presenting it as just like this is my orientation, you know, and he's like putting the worms on his face and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, is, are you sure that's not a no, he's not trolling? No, he's not trolling. And, and I, McGrath did the same thing. She declared herself to be remember Tachana declared herself to be like a plant sexual or something like she was like 
Oh, yes. But see, what's funny is satire is dead because there actually are. I've also seen videos of people who have sex with trees. So it's like there there are these people out there and it and I'm not saying it's a lot of people. I think it's like a few nut jobs, but the media is amplifying it. People are putting it out there like, hey, this is a thing you could do. Kids. Someone, oh, watched, someone is following Tachana McGrath in a non-ironic way going, that's a great idea. Plants are kind of hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I just think it's kind of, I, it's just more evidence to me of this whole um, just nihilism, pe- meaninglessness, hedonism, worship of bodily functions, worship of the self, worship of it, it, extremes. It makes me think of that. Um, I went to this lecture um, by, what is this guy's name? James K.A. Smith. I went to this lecture by him about St. Augustine and he was, I may have mentioned this before to you. I, I, it's because it stuck with me. He was talking about freedom, how we often in this culture were taught we, to think of freedom as being like hitting the road, like go, going out to the extremes. You know what I mean? Like freedom outside of boundaries, right? Hmm. And and he talks about the life of St. Augustine and his his book, The Confessions, which is like the first autobiography ever written and how St. Augustine was just sort of like this hedonist who just kept pursuing more and more and more and eventually came to realize that that's a kind of slavery because you're always in pursuit of more. You're slave to your pleasures. You're a slave to your pleasures and you're a slave to your flesh. And What? Your dopamine, if he had had the language for it at the time. And so he was always pursuing and you're never satisfied because there's always more that you haven't there's more, always more extreme right and so he came to learn the freedom of the freedom that you that you can achieve within boundaries and it was really a fascinating talk to me to, for me to think about freedom in that way of like of of you know within boundaries like think about it this way i, know I may have made this comparison before like an artist right um an artist who learns the rules and the technique and the boundaries has a lot of freedom to be very creative and to even break some of those rules once they know the ba- the boundaries and they know the techniques. And it kind of opens up this place for them, for the muse, like for them to be just totally creative. Whereas someone who just doesn't bother learning the boundaries. And, and I know somebody in our comments paput us because we don't like postmodern art, <laughs> but, but I, whatever, we could have differences of opinion. I don't really like it. I think people that just um, don't learn the technique and don't learn the boundaries and are like, I'm going to staple this teddy bear to the wall and pee on it. And that's artwork. I'm like, no. <laughs> well, to be fair, to be fair, Carrie, I don't like it either, by the way. Uh, to be fair, some of those people actually do know proper technique. They choose to rip the stuffing out of teddy bears and throw and staple it to the wall. They could actually paint. Some of them actually can do what I would consider real art, right? They just choose to do that. Some of them, not all of them, um, but some of them learn the technique, which I think is almost worse. It's like, Learning the right, learning techniques that work really well to make beautiful things, and then saying, "Yeah, I'm gonna throw some paint on the wall." All right. Um, yeah. Well, but, that's anyway. I, I, that's where my my brain goes when I think about lately about about nihilism and hedonism and narcissism versus finding meaning and purpose. And I think of like no boundaries versus boundaries, and you know those kind of dichotomies. Anyway. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think what what tends to happen is, um, look, I mean, a, a, as a 
anarcho-capitalist ultimately, but you know, more libertarian-minded person, I don't want rules about all this stuff that are enforced by at the point of a gun. Um, but that doesn't mean uh, I. I don't want to say this. I think what happens is you have like when you have the church, for example, enforcing um, rules, or you've got society enforcing rules. Um, and then you suddenly lift those restraints and you say, okay, we're going to have, there's no rules. You can do whatever you want, right? Um, there are, there is a tendency for, I think, a large percentage of the population to view freedom as something that um, also implies freedom from consequences. And like the truth is, can you go around having sex with everyone and doing whatever you want? Yes, you can. Are there advantages to that? I'm sure there are some positive advantages to that. There are also real consequences long-term to your own happiness and health and ability to have relationships. And like, there are things that actually, you have to, you know, what was the, what's that quote? Um, I think it was a Spanish king or someone who said, uh, or said, God said, take what you want and pay for it, right? Like, you've got to pay for it. Um, and the truth is, look, um, I would love to eat bowls of mint chocolate chip ice cream for every meal every day and like crappy food. Like I would love to have crappy food all the time, but, and, and I think I should be allowed to have crappy food all the time, but to be happy and healthy and have a long life, I need to constrain my diet. Those are self-imposed, self-imposed rules are not anti-liberty. Self-imposed rules are how rational beings live long and happy lives that are productive and get along with other people in society. You you have self-imposed rules. And it's not my job to tell you what those rules are. I can make recommendations. You can, you know, we can have discussions about what good rules might be. But we've gone from this like puritanical, you know, the, the priest, the local priest will tell you what all the rules are. And you better not, you know, you better not show your wrists because that's risque, right? We've gone from that to like, there are no rules, kids. Don't worry about consequences. Like, you don't have to, like, we're not going to tell you the rules and we're not even going to recommend that you figure out any rules at all. There are zero rules, zero consequences. Charlie Sheen yourself to death. Go for it. Right? Yeah. That's, that's, not, that's another great not, analogy, the food one, where boundaries, you actually have more freedom within boundaries if you set, if you're like, hey, I'm not going to eat ice cream for every meal. <laughs> right. right. I, I like that one. There um, are consequences to eating ice cream for every meal. Yeah. Uh, Eckhart Tolle says you can't enjoy simple pleasures if you do them all the time. That's true. There are no yeah. longer simple pleasures. Yeah, that is, that's true. Um, but I don't know that this is, you know, we're getting to one of the, this is why I'm, this is why we're both focused on culture more than politics, because a lot of this stuff is not about what laws like Carrie and I don't think I'm pretty, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm pretty sure. Carrie and I don't think there should be much laws about who you can have, what adults you can have consensual sex with and how you can do that. That's not correct. That's correct. not what we think. This We're is just not saying, about politics. Hey, yeah. Right. Hey, but hey, maybe you want to consider the consequences to your own life and make some decisions that are maybe a little more long term beneficial than don't eat mint chocolate chip ice cream every day for for lunch. That's all. Um. You know, everything. Yeah, that's why I say like when um, I guess that's why I've been lately ever since I would, was on uh, Taya Smith's show and she asked me the question about am I conservative versus liberal? And I 
made me think about it. And I was like, well, actually there's a distinction there because personally, yes, I've become more conservative in the past two years in terms of what I think are the best ways of living, even when I don't live up to those things. Um, I still, I know what I believe now is more conservative about how I should behave, but my political beliefs on policy are mostly still liberal. Yeah. And, but, and this, and this begs the question. So I just, um, because we were going to read coddling of the American mind, I wanted to read righteous mind first, which I just finished. Um, and, um, he, one of the things that Jonathan Haidt got me to think about and Carrie, I, I think you might like this discussion. Um, he got me more thinking about group selection. So I had read Richard Dawkins selfish gene stuff in the past, and I understood the, the gene selection, individual gene-based selection. Um, but the idea that there have been competing groups um, throughout humanity and that group-based selection might be something that actually really had an effect. And also, by the way, he, he, he brings up an interesting point that which I kind of felt like was true, but I didn't actually know. So I was glad to have an expert say this. So now I can say that it was true. Um, we have evolved in the past 50,000 years. Like there's been a lot of like, there's been a lot of changes in the past 50,000 years. Evolution can happen quite quickly in, in humans um, and other animals as well. And so um, not only has there been a decent amount of evolution, but there's this idea that, that there were competing groups and that, that has a tendency to evolve different behaviors and and um and social structures and what his point was was uh, mores right like moral sentiment about what's good and what's bad and that kind of thing and you know it occurs to me that if we view history that way and we're just i'm just going to talk about america i know not everyone on the chat is in america but we'll, you think about it as your own western based country um assuming that you're in western in the western world um you know here we are in america we we are we definitely were formed at a time when it was group against group. I mean, there, there was this globalism is relatively new, right? This idea of like globalism is relatively new. So we definitely were still in this time where the, the, the overwhelming majority of people thought of themselves as members of different groups, mostly nations. And we, we formed this nation. And so this is our group and our group is based on our own set of moral values that, that allow us to have cohesion. It's not the same. Other groups can have cohesion on their own sets of values, but we had cohesion around a lot of in values that were mostly about individual freedom and, and that kind of stuff. And so we, we will say Western value, Western culture values. Uh, and we had this cohesion. Um, and I think it, what's interesting that's happened to me is we seem to be simultaneously saying two things. Um, we believe in, I think we kind of have some contradictory beliefs and I think that's what's why we're falling apart. On the one hand, we believe that uh, there should be things like freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and we, we have these kind of Western values. Um, but, but one of our Western values is democracy. Um, that like the will of the people is what kind of matters. And, and also we have this kind of uh, cultural liberalism where like we should be able to do anything, right? Which is what we're, we're talking about a little bit, just like hedonism should be, would be fine. The problem is if you have a group like that and you invite outsiders, and I don't mean like different skin color or whatever. I just mean people outsiders who don't have those values. So you, you invite people in who are like, look, we don't have freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Those aren't values. We don't share the things that keep this group cohesive. Um, but but uh, 
but we'll go ahead and vote. We, we like this democracy idea. And we like this idea that anything's allowed in culture. What you, That's a recipe actually for destroying the social cohesion in the group um, and ultimately having the, the group fall apart, which I think is what we're seeing in the US. And by the way, just to be clear for those of you who might be listening that are have hair triggers about this, none of this is about race. None of this is about race. Um, I'm talking about uh, cultural ideas and cultural mores. And so, I don't know, it, it's, um, I start to see a little bit more sympathy for um, people who talk a lot more about culture um, and, and, a, and kind of cultural cohesion. Because if you don't have that, you're, we're living in a society in which if a majority of the people come in or, or even evolve internally, it doesn't matter if they come in, if they evolve internally with an antithetical culture where we will fall apart. And we are falling apart right now. I'm confirmed alt right. Thanks, Tame. <laughs> does that count as alt right? I don't know. No, it doesn't. It actually, um, I forgot that it's been a while since I read The Righteous Mind, although clearly it stuck with me because I referenced it a lot. And I forgot that he had touched on that. I, um, well, we've talked about this before, not, not to repeat ourselves too much, but it's that we used to think of US culture as like a melting pot. And, mm -hmm. and I think even that was like a liberal idea. That is a liberal idea. It's a melting pot. But now melting pots work. Do, and melting pots by a melting pot. Well, melting pot because you're all we're all cohesive as one. Like we all have different cultures, but we meld and we borrow things from each other, and then we have this overarching uh, culture where we are all Americans and we're all united. And there are certain cultural things that you know, as much we're as all get behind. Freedom. Yeah, you're expected to assimilate, and and. For some reason, we've started. When I was in college, I started hearing about assimilation as like a bad thing, and um, and now I I view it differently. I'm like assimilation if if it's into a a culture that has um, cultural values that like like the ones I think in America. I think we have some great cultural values: individualism, you know, free speech, personal liberty, all these values, and so uh, freedom of you know religion and um. But now, now the left used to say, okay, we're a melting pot. But see, now the left has been taken over by SGWs and they don't like the melting pot analogy. They, they like the salad analogy. So everyone stays separate, all these different cultures and groups. And, and I think that's kind of what you're saying is that that's a recipe for that salad recipe is a disaster. <laughs> it's a recipe. Well, so, for so yeah, but cause salad doesn't work. Right. So when you, when you think about like if you want a society in which you have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, I, I get maybe I can put this more succinctly. If you want a society with with individual individualism, you want freedom of speech, freedom of religion, those kind of things. If you want that society, you absolutely must care about culture because the only way that society will survive is if it, if if people in that society adopt that culture. It is the only way it will survive because there are competing cultures. There are competing groups. There are competing societies and they will destroy us if we don't preserve that. And I think I, you know, as someone who's not, you know, a xenophobe, I think anyone who wants to support that culture should be welcomed to come in and be part of that culture. If that's what you want to support, come in and support it. Um, but that culture needs to be policed. I don't mean with guns. I don't mean by the government. I mean through through social pressure and ostracization. We need to support a culture of individual freedoms. Of of, and if we don't, we're dead. 
Okay. This is where you're going to, this is how they, by the way, they take people out of context all the time on purpose. Uh, so you just said, right. It needs to be police. And then you clarified not with guns. I mean, socially police, like we need to encourage this. Oh, I see. They'll take that out of context. And They'll now take I'm- that out of context. Cause just remember when Jordan Peterson was talking about, um, uh, enforced monogamy yeah. and, that's actually a biological term he was talking about. It means like socially and reinforced, like where, you know, where, and he was talking about the societies that are that enforce monogamy socially um, have less war, less fight, like all these positive benefits to that. But what did they do? New York times, like the New York freaking times is like, he believes in forced monogamy, like, and like, as if he's talking about men with guns going like, get married and stay married and don't cheat. Obviously, that's exactly what I was talking about. Uh, Yeah, everyone who knows me knows that I'm really pro jackbooted thugs telling you what to do. At (laughs) no, don't use sarcasm (laughs) like that. They'll always take it again. Lazy, (laughs) anyway, lazy sarcasm. Okay, but uh, (laughs) funny in the in the chat, Tame again says something very funny. The salad analogy works if you count the overarching American culture. Uh, the dressing that you're going to drown the vegetables with to get the horrible taste. Out. <laughs> you know what? Dave? That is the best analogy ever. American culture is the like oversaturated dressing on your salad. Yeah. Yes. But you have to have it. Oh, Tame found us through Mikey. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. We love Mikey. Yeah. Um, man, what are, are we day 22 with Mikey now? Um, today is day 22 that my Carlo has been banned from Twitter and day three that we've been censored on Instagram <laughs> shadow banned. Well, I think we need to get more censored. We're not doing enough. So maybe we can post yeah. anything. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just, the, the culture thing really struck me and, uh, the thinking in terms of group competition, uh, I think was very, very helpful to understand why. Um, you know, even though as a libertarian type person, I, I kind of agree that borders on maps are like arbitrary lines and blah, blah, blah. Like I get all that. And, and we're, we've got a group that we are trying to protect. And like, if we, if we want to protect these ideas, you can't protect freedom of speech and simultaneously ask that the enemies of freedom of speech come in and, and grow in power or, or preach you know, or, or convert people internally or without um, like, without assimilating. See, that's yeah. another reason why it's, again, we've talked about this before, but legal immigrants are some of the most patriotic America loving people I've ever met <laughs> because they went through that whole long arduous process because they love the values of America and it means a lot to them. And it's inspiring. Like, actually, it makes me want to go back and take a civics class or something. Cause I'm like, I don't know all the stuff, you know, that you had to study, <laughs> you know? So. <laughs> Unsafe space confirmed for wanting camps for people from other cultures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be taken so out of context here. Oh gosh. For those of you who don't know, I'm married to an immigrant. So, uh, like Trump, I guess I'm a, uh, an evil hypocrite for being married to an immigrant, but being concerned about illegal immigration. Um, I don't don't know where these analogies are going, Elizabeth. Stew is so dang good. I'm, I guess I've missed a few, but, oh, wait, here we go. Salad loses flavor with age. Stew, chili, and soups are better. Oh, that's true. We could be cultural chili. 
Yeah, Mara says you guys quit dissing salad. I like salad. That's true. I like some salads. That's true. Um, you guys are making me hungry. Okay, salad, what? By the way, salad because I'm on the carnivore diet. Salads are my cheat day food. I'm like, I get to have it. <laughs> <laughs> You're so excited about salad. I know. I'm like, oh, can I have fried chicken on my salad? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can we talk about uh, Don Junior on the View? Oh. I forgot about that one, but that's an awesome one. Yes. Also, we should talk about Pete Buttigieg before we hang up. But yeah, I don't, I don't know what you'll like it. It'll be quick, okay. but let's do Don first. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I think the best commentary I saw on it were, was um, Brandon Tatum did a video about it. That was really good. And um, Tim Pool on, on his Tim Cast channel did a video about it. But what I liked about it, and I only watched the clips. I didn't watch the whole thing, but they they're the legacy media the view even though they're kind of frivolous and and whatever they're part of this whole machine that we talk about all the time they have a narrative they've bought into the same narrative as the cathedral you know as the as the legacy media and they they presumably they brought him on to talk about his book but really they were just trying to attack him and they got mad, first of all, that some people in the audience were clapping for him and Whoopi Goldberg. Well, the audience like, was like, I think they were into him. Yeah. yeah. Well, so they were like, don't don't clap. This isn't a MAGA. Like, they didn't like that. And then and then he um, he correctly pointed out their hypocrisy about stuff. And he pointed out, I mean, he came armed with facts. And I think, I think uh, Tim Poole got it right when he said that they – because they believe the narrative, they underestimated him. Like they think he's dumb. They think Trump is dumb. Like you know, so they didn't really prepare for him to to be such a power. He came in and he was like, "Joy Behar, you you dressed in blackface. Whoopi Goldberg, you defended Roman Polanski raping a thirteen year old and said they it's never not do rape, prep work. Yeah. They don't. They don't. Well, especially for someone like him, they don't. Or or they're not doing the right prep work because their idea about who he is is wrong. But anyway, he she did. I remember when she said that. And, and it kind of, I kind of forgot it. about it. She said that Roman Polanski raping a 12 year old or 13 year old time was not rape, rape. And a bunch, yeah, and she wasn't too. the only one. M Meryl Streep defended him. Like a ton of these celebrities defended him. And that girl was drugged. Uh, and Whoopi continually said back then, she was saying, well, but she kind of consented before the drug. She, she's 12. She can't consent. She was, yeah, yeah. And, and she did, I remember her saying, it's not rape, rape. Yeah. So um, he called them out and they both immediately defensively tried to deny it. Joy Behar's like, I didn't wear blackface. And if there's a clip of her on the view where they show the picture of her dressed in blackface and she says, Oh yes, I went to a Halloween party as a beautiful African woman. And the, the, and, and of course they, there's the whoopee clip. But she said, I'm not in blackface. I'm a beautiful African woman. Well, no, she said, she said, I used darkening makeup. Well, that's blackface. Right. Um, and, and I don't care, by the way, I don't think, I don't care about blackface. I, I'm at the point, I just don't care where, if, if you have a Halloween costume, it depends on the context. I really don't care. What I care about is hypocrisy. And these are the same people that will talk about it nonstop if it's someone that they don't like doing it, but then they, they're hypocrites. You know, Whoopi Gold, they, they talk about me too. They talk about all this stuff. And then they're, and then they're sitting up there defending a child rapist. And that, that's what bothers me about it is the extreme hypocrisy and the fact that they immediately knee jerk tried to def, tried to lie 
when and 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 they they wouldn't have if they were prepared they wouldn't have knee jerk tried to lie because there's video footage out there that easily dispels so anyway that was kind of cool that he just was really like look at this and third thing i'll say about it if you guys haven't seen it um they tried to rake him over the coals for retweeting an article from the uh, that had the the name of the um ukraine whistleblower in the headline well and they were saying that he, you know, that, that he's committed that that's illegal. It's not illegal. The name was already out there in the press. Well, and it was in the drudge report, which he's, he was like, the drudge report is huge. And they were like, well, maybe not everyone sees the drudge report. And he's like, they don't, it doesn't matter. So, they, they don't even know that the drudge report is like e enormous. Cause they're not paying attention. He's like, all I did was retweet it. Yeah. They don't, but, but the point is it doesn't matter if they, who, if, 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 Nobody reads the Dredge Report. It's out there in the press. He didn't release the name. Somebody else did. He just right. retweeted it. Now it's out there. He's not allowed to talk about it. The news that we're not allowed to mention the name now that it's out there. Give me a break. The name's out there. What they really don't like about that is that the guy, the, the whistleblower is, the, or alleged whistleblower, is uh, a CIA guy. He's like a deep state guy. He's He is worked with Joe closely with Joe Biden and a ton. they don't like the optics of how it looks that this is the whistleblower. And so that's why they're upset. And he rightly, I know I'm on a tear, but just let me finish. No, he rightly pointed out that they're hypocrite again, hypocrisy, because they're trying to lambast him about revealing the name of a whistleblower when they, the, the ABC uh, clip that just came out that project Veritas blew the lid off of how ABC buried the Jeffrey Epstein story yet again, mainstream right. media, legacy media protecting a child rapist yet again, three years ago, they had the story and ABC killed it. So that audio came out. Guess what just happened? CBS and ABC together went after the whistleblower, the woman who worked for ABC, who leaked that audio fired her. Right. So don't, right. Talk to the, I. I love that he just he just like hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite. Like on these three points, he just kind of pointed yeah. it out, and he did it in such a calm way. I mean, I'm getting much more agitated about it than he was. Yeah, I mean, you know, he also pointed out I don't lose my I don't lose my First Amendment right just because my last name is Trump. I, like I can yeah say what I want. I'm a private um, citizen. I can retweet a news article. The thing, I, honestly, the thing that bothers me most about I, I see that you're very upset about the view, and I. I empathize with your anger over the view. I totally agree. The view makes me sad more than angry because they are so low IQ. They are so, it, it's just so low quality. It's just a low quality show. And the idea that they're, that they're even popular at all, that people care what will be Goldberg, Goldberg and Megan McCain and Joy, whatever her name is, like people care about their commentary. It's they're not they're not smart. They haven't thought through the issues. They don't have context. They're partisan. They just they're reactionary to crap. They they're just they're so it's they're so it's just such a low quality discussion that there's no reason to even give them the time of day. And the fact that they even have a show is evidence that we're just our culture is a mess yeah well <laughs> this is what i expect from the view is my point like this is what's what i expect from the view i expect yeah but it's so mainstream mainstream right and popular that's what they that's want us awesome. to think it is anyway i don't know and it, it 
we have to start demanding better entertainment. That's why, look, like I said, some people in the chat said they haven't seen the Don Jr. stuff yet. I watch almost exclusively alternative media these days. I, I, I watch, even when I'm watching clips of, and I like to go to the source material too, once I, if there's something I'm interested in that I want to talk about more, but there's so much better commentary online, which of course they're trying to censor, but, you know, pull up Tim Pool's video about Don Jr. Watch it with Tim Pool. It's better. Trust me. Watch it with Brandon Tatum. It's better. Yeah. There used to be, um, do you remember, and this is going to sound like a non sequitur, but it's not. Do you remember on, I think it was on VH1, maybe, there was the show Talk Soup where Greg Kinnear kind of got his start. Oh, gosh, yes. Do you remember yes, Talk Soup? Yes, Talk Soup was awesome, by the way. I loved Talk Soup. Um, but what they would do is they would have, uh, they would cover talk shows, like the, the Maury Poviches and all those people. At the end of the day, they would like summarize all the crap that happened on, on Maury, but they would do it in a very funny, snarky way. And I think that's like, it's the equivalent of talk soups that are, I think may start arising on the internet of like, cause Tim pool kind of does that sometimes. Like he kind of did that with this thing where it's like, here's the ridiculousness that was on the view today. You don't have to watch the view. Just like watch this, you know, I'll tell you what they did and show you some clips and show you how ridiculous it is. And, you know, we can move on instead of watching the whole view. You can watch the five minute uh, summary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I just want to in the chat. Wow. You guys, while I was on my rant, people, people were commenting a lot and there was something really funny. They're talking about fondue. <laughs> yeah, there was some fondue. That was pre-rant though. Fondue was pre-rant. I, okay. And the, oh my goodness. Somebody huh. says, what was the funny thing I saw? Elizabeth is fired because of the class that she proposed. Did you see that? Where am I at? Oh, oh, new, new yeah. tenure, the art of tossing salad 101. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys weren't watching earlier, that's a callback to an earlier part. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You can't fire her. She's got tenure. She's she's there. You have to have a protest. Um, yeah. I, so I, if you those two people, by the way, that I mentioned, if you don't know who they are, Tim Pool is more of a classical liberal. I would say he and I are kind of similar in beliefs. Um and then Brandon Tatum is more of a uh, new right kind of conservative on the Trump train and two different political ideologies. Both have great takeaways from that video. So, yeah. well, would you like to find out what Pete Buttigieg did? Slash sure. said, Carrie. Um, Oh, Andrew says Tim Pool's not classical liberal. He's center left. I don't know the difference between all these things anymore. I just know he's not on the right. And generally, sorry, classical liberal generally means like uh, libertarian-ish, right? So classical liberals are not, they don't support, uh, they're not like big on welfare and that kind of stuff. Classical liberal is like a pre-libertarian term. Right. So that's why I think people are arguing, although I don't think it's super clear all the time. All right. Let me see if I can even I don't know that I can play this because uh, of my weird sound issues. So but I'm going to try I'm going to try and play this. And if sound doesn't work. I... OK, one last thing while you're pulling it up. They're describing the difference to me. Andrew says Tim's almost a socialist. And then they're saying he says think left of Sargon. You know, it'd be great if somebody would do a, a, a chart for me and have these different figures and have like 
Sargon and then have like Temple. <laughs> you just have a chart. <laughs> so then I could say, oh, I'm like, you know, what's my political belief? I'm I'm right. I'm somewhere between Sargon and Temple. <laughs> yeah. Um I think there's an interesting thing that's happened uh, because so many people recognize the threat that is the social justice left, that you've got a lot of disparate uh, political ideas coming together. All Like I like Tim Pool a lot, I like a lot of what he does, but I'm vehemently opposed probably a lot of his politics, right? Um, even Sargon, I don't like a lot of his politics, but he's not mostly talking about the politics I don't like. Most of what he's talking about is you know, kind of the common enemy thing. He's going after the crazy social justice people. He goes after the authoritarians. Yes, this gets back to what we talked about yesterday about that distinction between authoritarians and libertarians being more important than the distinction between left and right. And so that's why you see all these interesting alliances and um, commonalities between progressives and center leftists and conservatives because a because if if you're one of those people who recognizes that this whole this whole line between authoritarianism and not authoritarianism is the most important division right now, then then you're going to have these friendships and stuff because you across right and left it doesn't matter. We all of us in the middle, whether you're conservative, liberal, libertarian, center left, center right, whatever. I truly believe we have a lot more in common with each other than we do with the authoritarian right or the authoritarian left. So. Yeah, just don't say that we're in the middle because that's offensive. The middle, what? You said all of us in the in the center or the middle. I'm like, no, we are. We're not in the center. I'm not in the center. Okay, well, I don't. Know. <laughs> Why does that bother you? Because I, I view the center as a generally a compromise between a bunch of stuff without really principles. That's just you know. Um, I, well, but it's you're very you're, big center. It's pretty much the whole. Your your spectrum. idea of center though is you're like you're basically saying. Everyone there's the except and there's, there's the center. So I don't yes. know what the other side is. What's so the it's other like, side? Imagine like this is all the center, and then you've got these two poles of authoritarianism. That's what I'm looking at it like that. And all oh, you're the using the left right thing. Yeah, and the center is huge, and it yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, anyway. I thought you were using the libertarian authorian thing, authoritarian thing. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm I'm off the chart on this side. I'm on the libertarians. I'm not in the center. But you're not using that. Um, Carter is bottom right uh what is bottom right is that no that's it, authoritarian right isn't it but i don't i don't remember the graph no i have yeah to that's i'm not bottom i'm not authoritarian right i can tell you exactly what i am i'm completely freedom based in both economics and personal freedoms and like i'm as libertarian as you can possibly get i'm more libertarian than libertarians because ultimately i'd prefer anarcho-capitalism that's, <laughs> that's how far libertarian i am uh um okay i can't i can't get this uh i can't get this my sorry my sound is screwy so i'm not going to show you the the video but i'll just tell you what he said so pete Buttigieg said that white americans so you know this is going to be good because he's starting by identifying a race white americans need to come to terms with what whiteness is now this kind okay. of bothered me, but I was like, well, what does come to terms mean? Like, I want to look up actually the definition. I use it all the time, but like, I, you know, if someone asked me, like, what does the definition actually mean? I want to be clear. So I looked it up. The definition of come to terms with means to resolve a conflict with or to accept or resign oneself to something emotionally painful. So what he's saying is that white Americans 
should either, he's either saying we need to um, come to terms, he, we need to resolve a conflict with what whiteness is, or we need to accept or resign ourselves to the emotionally painful truth about being white. Uh, I don't see how that's not massively racist. Well, I don't even need to look up what come to terms with means to know that that's SJW. And that's disappointing mm -hmm. because two different people who I respect have told me that they like him and I should check him out. And I still intend to, even having heard that quote, but that doesn't bode well, in my opinion. <laughs> like that's total whiteness is an SJW. Whiteness is an SJW word. Actually, that should go on the next bingo. They've tried to turn it into a concept, right? Like what is whiteness? It's the opposite it's of people of color. <laughs> no, but they they try to they they've made up a definition for it where it's like whiteness is is a system of oppression that reinforces it. it's all that stuff we've talked about. It's all that racist stuff about how like being about on time at the beginning. It's Western culture is whiteness. Right. They try to say that logic is uh, whiteness and that being on time is white. All this stuff, which is t totally racist, um, mo most especially to people who are not white. I mean, I think it's kind of stupid. Sure. Anyway, yeah. If you accuse me of like, logic is your culture's thing. I'm like, oh, I'm not particularly offended, but I think you're offending a hell of a lot of people who aren't my culture. <laughs> oh, Tina, Tina's in chat for the first time. Hi, Tina. Tina, we talked about uh, the video. The video. We talked about the article that you posted um, earlier in the video. We talked about the article you posted about Harvard's new um, sex ed classes. <laughs> Thank <laughs> yes. you. And actually, there's some proposals for some new ones, so you can scroll up and chat and see. There's some great ideas. Uh, but um, yeah, so he is arguing that uh, we need to. So I, I guess we're supposed to. There's something emotionally painful about uh, being white, or there's an inherent conflict with being white. Carrie, when you say someone you respected um, told you to look at him, I, I I don't know that you're doing this, but I'm just going to make this general. I'll give unsolicited advice. Respect is earned in particular domains. So if uh, if a cardiologist tells me his opinion about my heart and heart health, I respect that opinion. If my cardiologist tells me something about uh, really good art, I don't necessarily need to respect that opinion. Or if he tells me, well, the best way to build a fence is blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, well, I don't know that he's domain expert there. And and when when people recommend, like I had someone tell me, I you should check out Yang, right? But I didn't really, I mean, I've already kind of checked out Yang when this person told me this, so I, I had already, I already know enough about Yang. But um, I respect this person on a bunch of things. If this person had told me, uh, here's some good, um, here's some advice on, on Montessori teaching or, or, you know, education. I would have, I would have listened, but I know this person doesn't understand the culture war. They have no idea what's going on with social justice. They don't get basic economics. So them well, telling me to, to check out Yang, he's interesting. It's like, well, I can respect you, but I don't have to respect that opinion of yours. So I don't know who told you to check out Buttigieg, but my guess is they don't understand the culture war at all. Well, you would be wrong. Your assumption is ac actually absolutely wrong. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. Because the people who have told me to check out not just Buzhek, but also Yang are people who know about SJW, who know about the culture war, and that is why I respect them. So I hear what you're saying, but that's not what I'm doing in this case. 
No, then that's then that's an interesting thing because that's weird. I don't I don't. It's understand. not weird to me. Um, it's not weird to me at all because I don't know enough about Buttigieg yet, which is why I'm going to look into him. But I have looked into Yang, and I like Yang. Do you respect me? <laughs> well, I, I'm not saying you respect people based on who they like. No, I'm just but saying. But if I told you to Yang, check out no. Yang, would you say? Meh. Yes, I would say me. Okay. Not because I don't respect you, but because I like. I've checked out Yang, like I and and. No, I mean, if you hadn't yet, I would check him out. If I if I hadn't if I hadn't checked out Yang and you specifically, you said check out Yang, I would check out Yang. Um, but you know, I don't think. I don't know. I I find it hard. I don't under. Maybe you can explain this to me. Instead of I won't make accusations. Maybe you can explain this to me. How does one understand? the culture war and the social justice threat to Western civilization and simultaneously support a politician who doesn't also understand and is actively fighting that threat. I don't know because I don't support Buttigieg because I don't know enough about him. You should ask someone, you should ask one of my friends and I'll, I'll ask them for you. Um, when it comes to Yang, Andrew says, well, that just darkened my view of you. Okay. I don't care. <laughs> um, what I like about Yang is, yeah, the whole, I, he is something different. And for me right now, that's interesting enough. And did I say I'm going to vote for him? No, I like him. I like that he's in the race. I like that he's very different. He's different in the way that Bernie was different. I voted for Bernie. Um, he's different in the way that Trump is different. Just something other than the same old um, uh, swamp corrupt politician stuff and that's i mean i like marianne williamson too maybe that'll darken your view of me um <laughs> i don't care so relax relax carrie it's okay <laughs> no um, i just don't like this whole mistake. bullshit about like i know everything and if somebody uh who i somebody that tells me to look into someone who i don't like then i must not then that person's not worthy of respect. That's BS. So you're, might... you're misreading it, S saying that this darkens my view of you, which I didn't say, but someone did in chat, right? Uh, it doesn't mean he doesn't respect you. He's probably one of the people that's in chat the most loving on you. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. You're basically saying that my friends who recommended that I look into Buttigieg are not worthy of res my respect. Well, that's not true. I didn't say that. I said, okay. I said respect is domain earned. So I have people that I respect, but I don't respect their opinion on politics because I don't think they understand this. Okay, well, well, that's not the... Hold on. I also guessed incorrectly about your friend. I Thank thought you. your friend probably didn't understand the culture war. And you said, no, I think they do. At which point I went, oh, well, wait a minute. Uh, I guess, I, guess I, I don't understand something that's going on, which is why I asked you how they could understand the culture war and like Buttigieg. That's all. I don't know because I haven't looked into Buttigieg yet, that, but I intend to because two different people I know and respect because they do understand the culture war and they do understand SJWism have told me I need to look into him. So it's on my list. I haven't done it yet. Yeah. Well, I can't answer that question because I don't, that's not my opinion. No, that's fine. I just, I thought I was hoping you would know. Um, but I don't know. I, I, and I can certainly, you know, just because someone doesn't respect someone's opinion in particular areas or it doesn't and respect is a strong word, but like there are going to be people who I just like, I know why I don't like Yang. So, and unless someone says to me, 
hey, he, he read a book on economics. You should check him out because he's changed his positions. I'm done with Yang. So it doesn't mean I don't respect people who like him. I just don't respect their opinion about him because I don't think it's based in an economic, an understanding of basic economics. That's all. By the way, you're reminding me that uh, we should interview that guy we were talking about. Uh, one of my one of my online friends who's part of this whole collapsitarian, maybe. I don't know if that's the right way to describe it, but he's one of the Yang gang. And is he a collapsitarian Yang gang or like a. a, a no, there's another word he uses. I forget what it is, but it's. I don't know enough about it. That's why I want to interview him. Is, he used the word is that no, <laughs> no, I don't know what that means. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Well, yeah, we should. Um, we've talked about this before, but for the new people, there are a, there are some Yang gangers. So this is not true about all Yang gangers. I don't even know if it's true about a majority of Yang gangers. Probably not. So there's a lot of people who like Yang just because, you know, he's giving away free money and blah, blah, blah. And he's not a politician. Um, but uh, there are there is a contingent that's non-negligible of Yang Gang supporters who are what Carrie's kind of referring to. And I think I've referred to them as well as this is a collapsitarian. And the reason they support Yang is because they believe his economic policy is so backwards that it will it will bring about the 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 collapse of the United States sooner rather than later. And they are they are ready for that collapse. They, they believe that the only way forward for America is to first go through some sort of collapse and they want to bring it on sooner rather than later. I'm not saying I believe that. This is, the, this is their, their belief. And so they've said things like, I'm going to take the $1,000 a month and buy ammo with it completely. That's all I'm going to do with the $1,000 a month from Yang so that I'll be ready for the boogaloo, which is the great kind of <laughs> right? I didn't know that word. Well, that's my <laughs> understanding too, is that, is that they they believe that collapse is inevitable that this culture war is heading towards some kind of conflict and collapse and so they just want to speed it up so we can then rebuild I, yes i'm not a collapsitarian and so i could be getting that wrong but yes that's my interpretation of them too but yeah yeah so um for those who don't know that's th those are the collapsitarians uh and they are supporting yang because they think Yes, they, they think that him giving everybody a thousand dollars is going to speed that up. Collapsitarians are me in a bad mood. <laughs> like when I'm in a bitchy mood, I'm just like, oh, I'm a collapsitarian. Uh, but normally, normally I have more hope and I'm more positive about uh, the future. I'm sure Yang wants to take the guns too. Yeah, I mean, Yang doesn't have principled stances on anything other than like he falsely believes automation is a problem. If you actually look globally, automation is um, the solution. We're going to have a huge labor problem as the population ages. And uh, there's going to and if you look at the birth rates, there's a an enormous gap in the amount of labor that is that needs to be done and the amount of people that will be able to do the labor. So while some people are worried about automation in the short term, automation is actually the only solution um that we've gonna we're gonna have in the in the coming decades we need to be we need to automate um so he is irrationally afraid of automation probably because he knows it will speak to um the working class that's that's worried about their jobs being automated um and uh and uh and obviously he's he's more socialist i mean i don't know how you describe which is interesting because most of the sorry to cut you off a lot not not most a lot of the yang gang people i know online were Trump trained people. 
So it's just interesting to me. It's kind of well, like Yang when populist, right? So like Trump though, Yang is Yang is kind of populist, right? So um, I think I think people who don't understand the long-term need for automation um, view automation as an existential threat, similar to how many of people uh, viewed um, overseas manufacturing as a threat and got behind Trump and saying, I'm going to bring stuff home, blah, blah, blah. Similarly, Yang is saying, hey, you don't want to get automated out of jobs. We should tax robots or whatever that, his stupid plans are. Um, you know, that, that's, it's, that, it's that kind of populism. Tax robots. Um, yeah, actually, he's no. I, I don't know if he's proposed that exactly, but I think he's at least hinted to that. I've seen, I've seen proposals and plans for taxing robots, in, as like because the reason that a company automates is you don't have to pay social security tax, healthcare. There's all these other expenses. It's a one-time expense. You you buy a robot and you you know oil it and plug it in or you know light maintenance on it and it's fine. It's it's much cheaper long term, even if it's more expensive in the in the short term. Um, and so his, there have been proposals. I don't know that Yang is officially behind any particular one, but I think he likes the idea of treating a robot that take that is quote taken a human job and and taxing the company for the robot. Okay. Right, which would which would disincentivize automation because it would change the economic calculation that a company would would make to purchase a robot. Um, and we all know the government will use that money wisely and efficiently. So it's a great thing to take it out of a, a productive person's hands and give it to the DMV. So I, I just want to make one, I know we have to end soon, but it, all the robot stuff just went over my head. Um, the, <laughs> the, I hear robots in my eyes glaze over. Sorry. Your eyes glaze over for so many fun things. I mean, I get economics, <laughs> but robots are cool, Carrie. <laughs> I used to watch Doctor Who. I like the Cybermen, the old Doctor Who. Um, okay, so here's what I'm here's what I think is interesting though. The fact that people who liked Trump who voted for Trump a lot well, the people that I, a lot of the people I know who like Yang voted for Trump. And that's interesting because they're so different, but they're like you said, they're both populist. But I think it it's sort of like in 2016, the first time I heard my conservative Republican uncle who's never voted for a Democrat in his life told me, well, I'm either going to vote for Trump. Or I'm going to vote for Bernie. That was during the primaries. And I was like, what? It didn't make any sense to me at first. And then well, that's just conservatives hate Hillary with good reason. No, I don't think that's what it is. No. Um, 12% was it 12 or 20? There, a, a, a very, a pretty large, significant, significant percentage of Bernie voters ended up going for Trump. And I think what it was, and I think that, that the book, uh, Oh gosh, what's that book that touches on this? Um, Hillbilly Elegy is that the name of it? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, it's it's that like my uncle. It's it's a policy doesn't matter as much as feeling like this is someone different and this is someone for the people, and it's that feeling of like not a regular old, you know, untrustworthy politician, but something different. And I think that's kind of interesting because you can get someone who, because that, that appeals to people across this whole left, right divide. I don't know. It's, it's, it, it's just one of those things that fascinates me. Well, there certainly is an anti-politician, uh, an earned anti-politician sentiment, um, which I share. Uh, but that doesn't make me want to vote for someone who's not a politician, but still has all the same bad ideas. Um, but Bernie's a politician. 
I don't understand how Bernie's an outsider. Bernie's done like he literally never had a job in his life other than politics. I don't understand how he's considered an outsider. As someone who voted for him, I'll tell you, we I viewed him as an outsider because he was an independent for so long and he um he doesn't it he speaks to my elephant or used to I, I there's no way i'm voting for him this time I, I think he's gone over to the sjw camp um or at least he's speaking that stuff and i can't no i can't support that but he um when i voted it was because he 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 came as off as real to me and sincere and that was different and he he didn't I know he's been a career politician, but for whatever reason, he was more of a populist. He was like Trump, but a populist on the left. I mean, yeah. and truly, Trump is a, Trump was a liberal before he ran. Do you know what I mean? They're all kind of. I don't. Know. I don't think Trump's conservative, but yeah. Um, but Bernie, but Bernie has always been this. Yeah, Laura's pointing out he's he's always been a socialist. But you know, I think Carrie, maybe you're speaking to the fact that people vote with their elephants, not their riders. Oh, the, they do vote for with their elephants. Yes, yeah, so most so most people, people I think vote with. Yeah, people don't analyze the policies, see that they're bad. They don't analyze positions and see if they're you know philosophically consistent or contradictory or the same as Stalin's. They just kind of feel like the guy's good. I'd like to go for a beer with him. Therefore, I'm going to vote for him. Um, Keith yeah. says to do Facebook group robots for $15 minimum wage. I love that there's a Facebook group for that. That is awesome. <laughs> yes, robots are. That's what the Russian bots would be focusing on. If there were actually Russian bots, they would be advocating for $15 minimum wage everywhere. So if you're worried about that, there you go. Um, okay, before we go, though, Carrie, we have to, I only because I chose the cover art about this story, so I feel like we have to touch on it. And we're kind of talking about economics a little bit, taxes, politicians. We get to talk about your favorite person, Elizabeth Warren. Actually, she's my favorite person, not yours. I probably hate her a lot more than you do. Yeah, I don't um, really have any strong opinions about I, her. I do. I, I, I admit to having a visceral distaste for Elizabeth Warren. But um, you know who's in trouble lately, in trouble by the left, is uh, Bill Gates. Bill Gates, the man who um, brought you cheap computers, uh, ubiquitous cheap computers everywhere, uh, or at least the operating systems, made them easy for people, changed your life dramatically in ways that you'll never understand. And then when he retired, uh, focused almost all of his time on philanthropy. And I think has, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think he may have single-handedly do donated more money to some causes in Africa than all the rest of the countries combined. So, you know. Not a guy who uh, you can say is Mr. Burns, right? Or some some evil, evil person. He was asked about Elizabeth Warren because Elizabeth and Bernie have been running around saying there should be massive taxes on uh, billionaires. And of course, Bill Gates is supposedly worth $106.8 billion. So he's only the second largest behind Jeff Bezos. And I think that's because he's given a lot of it away, frankly. Um, so uh, she she kind of mocked Bill Gates, and and so he was asked about this, and he said, "Well, he, uh, talking about Elizabeth Warren, he said, well, I'm not I'm not sure how open minded she is.'" Gates said, um, "And now Warren Warren would like to have a wealth tax and blah blah blah, and." Um, and, and she and Bernie have both been talking about paying a lot of money. Uh, and then, so then Bill says, well, 
But when you say I should pay $100 billion, I'm starting to do a little math about what I have left over. He continued adding that he thought his high taxes for the rich would stifle American innovation. Um, he says, I've paid over $10 billion in taxes. I've paid more than anyone in taxes. If I had paid $20 billion, it's fine. So he's not even complaining that like there could be an increase in taxes. Um, but uh, he also said something that really triggered them, which is they asked him about, well, would you support Warren over President Donald Trump in 2020? Now, this is not a question you want to answer on stage, but he was asked and he didn't why? back that. He didn't. He, why? Why wouldn't you want to answer it? Well, if you're worried about the mob going after you, uh, which I guess if you have one hundred and six billion dollars, you're not too worried about. He says, whoever I decide would have the more professional approach. So he basically declined to say I wouldn't vote for Trump. And that's making people. Oh, that's funny. I haven't heard about any of this. Yes. So, um, yeah. He seems uh, to and so people are mad, but he didn't say he would vote for Trump. They're just mad that he he wouldn't pick her. He wouldn't yeah, he didn't say I generally he basically well, he basically said, like, well, I'll pick the better candidate. Kind of right. They don't like that. That's funny. Um, <laughs> right. Well, Laura in chat said, what did she say? That, uh, oh, that she thought the way that Elizabeth Warren mocked him was very Trumpian. What does she mean by that? How did she mock I don't him? Oh, because I don't know exactly how she mocked him. Um, but that's not surprising. She does seem to have a disdain for wealth. And so does Bernie. Um I don't know, maybe, so this is an area where you and I might differ, and I just kind of want to understand um, the thought process. Like, do you have a feeling about billionaires? Like, do you have a resentment about billionaires? No, I don't feel about them one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't really, I, when I was in SJW, sure. I mean, I went to Occupy Wall Street. I was, I, we were filming a documentary with some comedians I worked with, and, you know, I believed in the cause, and I was all about, uh, you know, the 1% or blah, blah, blah. But yeah. well, I think that a lot fairness, of that was what? In fairness to you, Occupy Wall Street, there there is like a lot of cronyism and corruption that was is a reason for bank bailouts. So even a libertarian. Oh, totally. And I I absolutely oppose the bank bailouts and still do. And but in terms of like Bill Gates or any other, no, I don't have resentment towards him. I don't really I don't know. I don't I don't think about him. It's I I guess the reason I'm asking is there seems to be um, you know, Elizabeth Warren exemplifies this, Bernie Sanders exemplifies this, and I see this in a lot of supporters. Um, and I've actually read some uh, studies about this. Uh, people tend to be less concerned with how much they have and their standard of living and more concerned with the difference between how much the top person has and what they have. So even though free markets tend to raise the standard of living for everyone, you end up with this sentiment among a lot of people where uh, it, even though they tend to raise the standard for everyone, you also end up with some people that like Bill Gates who make $106 billion. Um, and people tend to get very upset about the disparity in income. Um, and uh, it's just not something that's ever bothered me. And I was wondering what, about the psychology. Andrew's saying envy uh, is a very powerful emotion. I agree with yeah. Andrew. And also that, you know what? I'll give you an analogy in a different uh, 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 Let me give you an analogy of something else. So when I represented comedians, there was this one comic I worked with who was completely envious and resentful of any other comic success. And even, 
even comedians he was supposedly friends with who were on the same roster. And so talk about like raising you. What did you say, Carter? You raise the income for everyone. The standard of living for everyone. You raise the standard of living for everyone. Okay. So think about a, a, a manager's roster. If some of your comics are doing well, it's going to raise the standard of living for all of your comics because now your manager has a better representation and can do get more things for you. And right. you're also friends with this comic who's doing well. You know what I mean? Like it's going to, it's, it's going to pay off if you have a positive attitude. This comedian was totally envious and resentful. And it was like every conversation became about, well, why does this guy have this? And why does that guy have that? And why does this guy have this? And like, because probably because he doesn't spend all of his time looking at you and what you have, <laughs> like, <laughs> which is, it's like, quit looking at what the other guy has and focus on your work and what you're doing. And Jordan Peterson has a great part in his book, uh, 12 Rules for Life about this, where he talks about, um, don't compare yourself to other people, compare yourself to who you were yesterday. That's a better comparison. Are you improving yourself or not? Are you doing better or not? You know, it's like apples and oranges to look at other people and it doesn't do anything except keep you from moving, in my opinion. Whether yeah. that's about money or fame or success in your work or whatever. There's a there's an Ernest Hemingway quote about this, right? Which is, uh, there's nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self, right? Um, it's one of my favorite quotes. Oh, that's great. I've um, never heard that before. That's great. Yeah. And that's, uh, it sounds like that's, uh, that's kind of what Jordan is saying there. Um, I do think, I do think, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe part of the issue is people don't, people are never taught what money is. And I think a lot of people view money as a zero sum game. So they figure if, if Bill Gates has 106 billion, that means there's 106 billion that other people don't have. Um, but that's not how money works. Like that's not how wealth works. Wealth is created out of thin air. Like wealth is, wealth is created through productivity. Like we don't have that, you know, if you look at all the wealth we have now, it wasn't sitting in the world 500 years ago and has just been redistributed in some way. It's been created out of nothing. That's what human ingenuity does. It creates wealth out of, out of nothing. So you're the first billion dollars, but it didn't take it from you. He didn't, it's not that that $106 billion would have been around in, in circulation and some in your pocket if he didn't have it. That's not how it works. It's not a, PJ O'Rourke made this comment once in the beginning of one of his books. Like wealth is not, I'm bastardizing his comment, but wealth is not like a, wealth is not a, a pizza where if I eat too many slices, you get left with nothing but a Domino's box. Like that's not how wealth works. Um, it's created. And I think maybe just people don't understand that. No, they don't. You, I was going to say you were the first person who, helped me see that because I used to think of it as the way that a lot of leftists do, which is as a pizza with a certain number of slices. <laughs> and right. like uh, somebody in the chat said, uh, yeah, they, they think that rich people are like hoarding all the pizza. And Right, yeah. right. But, but really, rich people have just been much more productive with their oven than you have. That's all. <laughs> like, in a free market, right? In a free market. Now, that's not true for all rich people, and especially in a cronyist market, like, which is why I agree with a lot of the Occupy Wall Street stuff. The bankers are not like that. There's like a whole bunch of crap where they're stealing money, mostly actually from poor people through taxes and then subsidizing businesses, giving contracts to people or bailing them out or whatever. Like, there's a lot of that crap, and that's all, that's all horrible. I'm not, but Bill Gates isn't one of those people. In fact, I don't know if you know this, Microsoft, I think I'm correct about this. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm 90% sure. I don't think Microsoft spent a dollar on lobbying 
ever until the antitrust people came after them for, for installing Internet Explorer on computers by default, which is like so stupid. It's like we're giving you Internet Explorer for free. It might have been Windows that they were installing by default more generally, but like we're, 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 we're setting prices. We're saying like, hey, if you buy it with Windows, then we'll give Windows away for free or whatever it is. They wanted to get their product out and the, the, the antitrust pearl clutchers got upset about it because, oh my God, you're going to dominate the market. Uh, yeah, that's the point, right? So they gave their stuff out for free to get people to using it and tied it somehow. I don't remember if it was IE or it was Windows and they tied it to, to computers. And um, they didn't let you not install anything else. They just gave their stuff away for free. Uh, and they got, they got attacked for antitrust. And after that, Microsoft started spending money lobbying in Washington because it's a self-defensive move. They have to, right? They have to, they have to protect themselves. Um, so, uh, I wanted to point out something in chat. Well, first of all, Tina says, I'm hungry. You know, I want pizza. It's funny. We've talked about soup, salad and pizza and fondue in this episode. Um, I'm hungry as well. But the other thing is Maria says, I think the knitters saw the successful businesses as taking away from the less successful ones, but it was actually the opposite. We were all supporting each other and raising each other up. Yes. That's exactly what we're talking about. And, and you can make a lot of those analogies. Um, I saw it happen in the online feminist world um, almost a decade ago, it's been, it's been many years now, uh, where they started tearing down the, fem there was all this infighting among third wave intersectional feminists. And there was this big thing about tearing down the top, like feministing and uh, feminist day and all the, all the big shakes, whatever, all the big feminist blogs that were getting all the uh, attention and attraction, Amanda Marco, and a lot of those, those, people did go on to get jobs in traditional media. Um, but the, there was this idea of like, yeah, they've taken all the roles, you know, they've taken all the work and it's like, no, they're, whether you agree with it, feminism or not, and third wave feminism or not, and I don't anymore, but they were raising, these third wave feminists were all raising each other up. And it wasn't this whole, like, see those, those people who snipe from the bottom, whether it's people like, the comic I worked with or the people in the knitting world or the people in the third wave feminist movement or the people who I wanted who complain, moan and complain about Bill Gates. It's just, it's, um, it's resentment. It's resentment yeah. and envy. And um, there's this great, yeah. All envy. Laura says it's gross. It is gross. And you know what? It's, it's the root of so many problems, like so many, Resentment is what fuels a lot of uh, unhealthy habits, behaviors, addictions, um, you know, abuse. Like it's just, it's just a, it's an awful thing. And to get rid of it, I, I heard this great quote, and I forget who said this, but it was like the, the antidote to resentment is gratitude. And so whenever I catch myself, if I remember having a jealous thought or resentful thought, it's like, take notice of it. Don't let those thoughts fester. Take notice of it. And get rid of it by thinking about what you're grateful for. Like, don't don't let that grow in you because it grows. It can grow really big. And all of SJW ideology. That's another reason I think it's so unhealthy. It's all based on resentment. It's all based on growing that in people. Um, I can can I say can I tell this one biblical allegory real quick? My favorite one. Yes, and I'm going to post the link to a video about envy in the chat so that people can watch. I'm I'm, I'm going to proselytize. 
something else while you tell that story. So go ahead. Yes. Tina says it all comes down to personal responsibility and gratitude. Yes, it does. And if you find yourself feeling envious or resentful, sit down and make a gratitude list. And I promise you at the end of it, you will feel less <laughs> resentful because you can't have, but it's like, if you're feeling grateful, it's like, you can't, there's no space for, Oh, what does that person have? Um, so Anyway, this allegory. So this is an allegory. This is one of the first things that I watched of Jordan Peterson's. Well, no, the first thing I watched was a video where I was told he was a transphobe and I, I've watched the video and he, he was not. It was a video about compelled speech. But then I watched one of his old lectures and it, it's you can still find it on YouTube. It's called um, Tragedy Versus Evil. And I listened to it at the gym and it really stuck with me because he was talking about the story of Cain and Abel in the Bible. And he was saying, I'll, I'll try to make this quick. I'm not, I'm going to butcher it a bit, but he's, he was talking about, he's like, look, Cain and Abel is an allegory for two modes of being in the world, two ways of living. So you look at it and it's like, you've got, you've got Cain. Well, first of all, let's start with Abel. You've got Abel who made sacrifices to the Lord. And you can think of that as like making sacrifices for the things that you want in life, right? Making the appropriate sacrifices, whether that's, uh, working a job while you're in school to be able to afford school, whether, you know, whether that's sacrificing time at parties, so you can study whether whatever the sacrifices are that you need to make to get ahead, it's making those sacrifices. Um, and then, and then Abel is also, it's like, you, you can live in that sort of making sacrifices, live in that place of gratitude, live in that place of humility, um, live in that place of where you, where you take responsibility, um, and, and where you're generous to other people, or you can live like Cain, where you're just, you don't make the proper sacrifices to get what you want. And then you look at your brother Abel and you're like, why is he the favorite? Why does he have all this? And you grow resentment and you are not grateful. You are arrogant and entitled and you think that you deserve everything. And why don't I have this? And why don't I have that? And in the biblical story, what happened with Cain was that he ended up murdering his brother Abel. Like he went to God and he complained and was like, why does Abel get everything? And God's basically like, well, it's within your control. Like quit you your could, whining, boy. Yeah, God's like, quit your whining. It's within your control. You know, sends uh, like a cat crouching at your door waiting. To, and, and, what it, and he didn't hear God. He didn't hear what God was saying. And he didn't take responsibility. Instead, he went in murder, murderous rage. That's where resentment leads. And so this SJW ideology, which we talked about before, it's like, it's, it's just a new form. It's, a, it's an evolved form of Marxism and postmodernism. Well, if you look back in history, where has where Marxism taken us? Murderous rage on a massive scale, like just resentment. And we, we deserve and need what other people have. And we are going to take their farms from them. Look what happened to the Kulaks. You're a bourgeois. Yeah. You're, we're going to take your farms from you. We're going to starve you. Um, we're going to murder you. Like that's, that's where that leads. And so that lecture has really stayed with me for the past couple of years. And it's a great way, I think, of thinking even, you don't have to be a Christian and look at it as an allegory, as a story. These are very old stories. Why have we told these stories for so long, right? Two modes of being. And so if I catch myself in any, even small interaction, if I catch myself behaving like Cain, I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. Like, I need to get that. I don't want to behave like Cain. I want to behave like Abel. So anyway, that's, yeah. that's, that, that's my, that's my little, 
No, it's so, a great, it's a great allegory. Or that's Jordan Peterson's allegory. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, and and Laura Higgins points out in chat that this is exactly what's happening in South Africa right now, um, which it is. There, it's uh, it's envy and it's this mentality of uh, uh, zero sum game. So we're going to take take from these people and give to these people, and it ultimately will end up with disaster. And you know, I guess Johannesburg won't have clean water or whatever. It, it'll end up it'll end up bad. Um, I do want to make, I rarely defend Silicon Valley, so this isn't really defense of Silicon Valley, but I do want to point something out because people view Silicon Valley as like one of the places where the wealthy douchebags originate from, which is true in many of the tech industries. So, um, that's not inaccurate. Uh, they are often social justice and bad ideology. But there's a caveat, and I think they the caveat to their belief system is uh, out of self-preservation. And that caveat is most of them, uh, most of them get that wealth is not a zero-sum game, especially not their wealth. <laughs> and they get that often companies, I don't know if people realize this, but often leaders of competing companies are friends or at least friendly and meet and talk about strategy and like they're not allowed to set prices or like there's you know they have to be careful about um antitrust regulations but they, there's there's a mutual respect and some yes there's competition but it tends to be more healthy competition because there's a general understanding that everyone's success is good for everyone else um and there so there is a spirit generally of uh frankly, generosity with respect to help. Um, and um, it, you're kind of in the club. There's a lot of things I don't like about it. But if if you are running a, a company and it's in a particular industry and you've got a couple of competitors, um, often they behave as if they're kind of in a club together. And, you know, they're not going to give away secrets. They're not going to actually help one outcompete the other, but they will, they will cooperate together uh, to the extent that it helps the industry as a whole they recognize that. And that's not something that I see uh, in mainstream very much. And, and it is, and it does, it's an anomaly because it, it, it flies in the face of most of their other beliefs, right? They'll, they'll be all about social justice stuff. And a lot of them will be like, yeah, tax Bill Gates when they're before they're wealthy, but if they make it suddenly they'll change their mind on that one particular issue. Um, yeah. Open source source software is a great example. Example, Andrew, a lot of companies actually fund open source software, um, so they don't own any rights to it, but they fund engineers who are spending time on open source software and fund open source software projects because it's something that the industry needs generally and their competitors will use it as well, but it's something that's, uh, going to help everyone, all boats rise. Right. Um, and if you're a rational business owner, you're not actually trying to just get an increasing share of the market. You're trying to, to grow your business generally and increase the market. And, and that might mean that other competitors also have their business you know, go up and, and do, do well. Um, you don't have to have your, your competitor die just so for you can, so you can live. Um, Blackbeard thinks SJWs just hate personal accountability. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I think they do. Uh, so do you Carrie. Okay. Um, yes. I think, I think we should end. It's been like two hours. It's a long one today. Yeah. That's uh, when my brain stops working. So, <laughs> okay. Well, we, we don't want that. So, uh, Carter, I'm sorry. I raised my voice at you earlier when I was passionate about what I thought you were saying. You did. Yeah. 
I know. I know. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> You're way more sensitive about conflict between us. <sighs> All right. Well, on that note, Carrie. Uh, let's say goodbye to everyone and um, we will see you all on Monday for Coffee. Any last words? My mic my microphone's messed up. Okay. So bye. Nice. <laughs> all, right. all right. Well, bye everyone. Um, see you on Monday. Thank you for liking, sharing, subscribing, all that stuff. Um, notice there's more of you on subscribe story lately. So we really appreciate it. Um, yeah. We hit 2,000 recently. You guys have been an awesome community. And I love that there's more people in chat. This is awesome uh, to actually be able to have an interaction. Because at the beginning, literally when I started this, there was like two people watching. And if I was lucky, one person might be in chat, but that never happened. It's really cool to now see that you guys are having conversations uh, between yourself, amongst yourselves and with us. And it's uh, I really enjoyed it. And I'm sure Carrie does as well, although she, she dropped off. But um, all right. I guess that's it. We will... Uh, See you over the weekend. See you tomorrow, I mean. Not tomorrow. God. Monday. All right. Bye.